So recently the Pope came out against corruption at the Vatican and the Catholic Church's policies on Freemasonry. And if you're like me, you look at these headlines, which I'm about to share with you today, and you kind of smirk and chuckle inside because you know your history, you know the truth behind these things. So if you don't know anything that I'm talking about or anything that I'm pointing to, today will be a very interesting history lesson for you. If you do know what I'm talking about, I think you will also enjoy today because there's a lot of things that you probably haven't heard of or that are just going to be great review. But I want to mention something really quick. All of this information that I'm going to be covering today is really much more in-depth covered in my End Times series. Now, today, most people are deceived about the end times, and they're not looking at these types of headlines that I'm sharing with you today. This is why I'm, I'm not chasing the news after earthquakes and <clears throat> signs in the sky and what's happening in Israel. Everybody's doing that. You have to understand who the beast is and what it's doing, what it believes, where it comes from. You have to know these things because most people do not know who the beast is, the first beast from the sea. And of course, you know who that is because the topic of this video tells you who it is. But most people are deceived about the end times. And so I created an end time series that's very, very comprehensive. And I don't follow any position because I realized in my own journey of studying end times events that every position is compromised. Most of them are created by the beast, believe it or not. Premillennialism, postmillennialism, preterism, dispensationalism, all these things are created by the beast. Now, one of the episodes in this series that I just mentioned, and I'll put a link for it in the description, is an episode on the French Revolution and the Jesuits and the art of war. And that's going to tie into a lot of the things we're talking about today. So I'm going to touch on some of those topics, but if you want the details, you want the research, you want the references. I cite all of my references. You can check them for, for yourself. Go to my website, that's danceoflife.com or my Substack. which by the way, by the way, very important announcement. You can watch all of my future content there ad free. I don't like ads, you know, either way, whether you are monetized or not, YouTube puts ads on people's content. It's really annoying. I hate watching ads. I'm sure you hate watching ads too. So go sign up to my Substack, sign up to uh, my dance website. Dance. They're all the same thing. It all ends up being the same list anyway, but I don't spam people. I just make content and I don't like ads. So if you are in that same boat with me, then check it out. But today we have some very interesting articles and what it's going to be is I'm going to lay these out for you. We're going to look at them and just kind of put them like pins on a board. And we're going to come back and do a, a whole commentary on everything. But the first article is this. It's from the Vatican News. Again, something that most people don't cover. But it says, Pope, extreme vigilance needed in fight against Vatican corruption. In a meeting with the Vatican's Office of the Auditor General, Pope Francis urged staff to fight the insidious corruption in the Holy See and Vatican State. And this is about, you know, corruption and all this stuff. He says, those who work at the Holy See and the Vatican State are certainly do so faithfully and honestly. Sure they do. But the lure of corruption is so dangerous that we must be extremely vigilant. Yes, it is. You're right, Pope. The lure of corruption is very dangerous. Now, this was published on the 11th of December. And right after that, on the 12th, which was as of the time of this recording yesterday, this uh, cardinal was arrested. He might have been Pope. Instead, he may go to prison. Dun, dun, dun. Gosh, they just love their dramatic stories. I'll tell you, this stuff is its just laughable sometimes. But this, I'm not going to read it for you, but Cardinal Giovanni Angelo Becciu basically embezzled like $100,000 and, you know, who knows what else he did. But ultimately, I mean, again, this is just the, the problem with institutionalization of religion. This is the, the system that the prophets, especially Daniel and John, warned about is the institutionalization of religion. These people do not care about God. They don't care about the people of God because they are counterfeits. Most of Jesus's par parables were about false converts. The parable of the fish, the good fish, the bad fish, the sheep and the goats, the wise and foolish virgins, uh, the, the parable of the sower, most of the people in the parable of the sower weren't saved. 
50% of them were false converts, the thorns and the, the ones that were scorched by the heat, by tribulation. In this case, this is a thorn. He's got lured away by the, the lusts of this world. Now, who knows? Again, we don't know the heart of anybody. He may repent and be born again in his life. We don't know that. But this is the danger of institutionalized Christianity, and it is the counterfeit that you were warned about. The Bible doesn't warn you about some atheist or communist or Islamic antichrist or antichrist power that comes in and persecutes people. No, the Bible warns you about a counterfeit that enters the temple of God. The temple of God is the body of Christ, which is the real church, the, the body of believers. And it places itself in between man and God proclaims itself to be God, proclaims, you know, to change times and laws, all kinds of things. This is the power right here, right in your face. But anyway, this is a funny article because, again, if you know your history about the Vatican and corruption and <laughs> what the prophets prophesied about the first beast, then this is all just really funny. And of course, this comes on the tail end of another article. This was, let's see, released about a month ago, again, as the time of this recording, 15 November, and this is the one that really kind of gets me into opening this rabbit hole. Vatican confirms Catholics still forbidden to join Masonic lodges. I mean, if you don't find that funny, then today will be a great history lesson for you. Responding to a question from a Filipino bishop, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith with the approval of Pope Francis reaffirms the incompatibility between the Catholic faith and joining Masonic lodges. Hmm, that's really interesting. After explaining with concern the situation in his diocese due to the continuous increase in the number of members of Freemasonry, <gasps> Bishop Cortez asked for a suggestion on how to adequately deal with this reality from a pastoral point of view, while taking into account the doctrinal implications of the situation. The dicastery's response makes clear the importance of involving the Bishop's Conference of the Philippines notifying them that it would be necessary to implement a, a coordinated strategy among the individual bishops that would involve the two approaches. So they're getting really wound up about this, which is really interesting. The first approach addresses the question on the doctrinal level. The dicastery reiterates that active membership in Freemasonry by a member of the faithful is prohibited because of the ir irreconcilability between Catholic doctrine and Freemason. Really? We're going to look at this. And of course, they cite their various documents and you know different things. So this is a very funny article. Now, again, if you don't find anything about this funny or maybe you don't understand where I'm leading with this, you're going to learn quite a bit of history today. So again, all of this stuff, I go into detail in my episode on the French Revolution and the art of war in my end time series. And besides that, you're going to learn a lot of stuff that probably you haven't learned in terms of end time stuff, because nobody is talking about this stuff, especially when we talk, when we look at history and trying to look at how Bible prophecy fulfills history. These things are long gone today. Most people look into the future. Where's the Antichrist going to walk into a rebuilt Jewish temple? This is what most people believe, whether you're dispensationalist or premillennial or, you know, whatever. If you're postmillennial, you believe that everything happened in the past. We don't have to worry about it most of the time. And so, where do these beliefs come from? Well, you will learn in my end time series that preterism and futurism both come from the Jesuits. Luis de Alcazar invented preterism, meaning everything is the past. And three Jesuits, Manuel Lacunza, Robert Bellarmine, and, uh, gosh, Francisco Ribera. I've said their names so many times, I'm surprised that I was kind of blanking on one of them. But Francisco Ribera. Those three Jesuits came up with futurism, meaning everything is in the future, the temple is the Jewish temple, it's not the Christian temple that the Antichrist power walks into, and so you don't have to look, don't look at us, that's the point. And this is where people believe today, they believe Catholic eschatology, and they don't even realize it. But the beast is well and coming back into power. So stop watching Israel, but let's learn a little bit of history. And we're going to start with something called the Alumbrados. This is from Wikipedia. The Alumbrados, and again, we'll read all these things and we'll put them together. So just treat them as pins kind of on the, the mental board of your mind. The Alumbrados 
Spanish pronunciation illuminated ones, or illuminated, interesting word, were the practitioners of a mystical form of Christianity in the crown of Castile during the 15th and 16th centuries, right around the time the Jesuits got started. Some alumbrados were only mildly heterodox, but others hold view, held views that were clearly heretical, according to the contemporary rulers. Consequently, they were firmly repressed and became some of the early victims of the Spanish Inquisition. And so right off the bat, I want you, again, we already kind of mentioned this in these previous articles. I didn't actually mention it, but they touched on the same idea that I'm about to mention, which is notice these dialectics. Notice these dualities between these guys and those guys, but good cop, bad cop, because these things that you're about to learn, or maybe you already know some of these things, they are false dualities. The Catholic Church being against Freemasonry is ridiculous, and you're going to learn why, but that's a false duality. It's a, it's a, it's a dichotomy that's there to distract you. That's not because behind the scenes, they're one, they're one and the same. And you'll learn why. But again, the Alumbrados, the Illuminated, Illuminati maybe, and you'll see the connection. They were victims of the Spanish Inquisition, which is an interesting situation. Background. Marcelio Menendez y Pelayo founded the name as early... He, this guy found the name as early as 1492 in the form of Aluminados, meaning the Illuminated Ones, and traced the group to a Gnostic origin. He thought their views were promoted in Spain through influences from Italy. Isn't that interesting? Where is, where is Italy? Italy's home of the beast, where the woman sits on seven hills. And Gnosticism believes in duality, the duality of good and evil, of black and white, black hats, white hats. Keep all this in mind. Beliefs. The Alumbrados held that the human soul can reach such a degree of perfection that it can even in the present life contemplate the essence of God and comprehend the mystery of the Trinity. Yeah, right. All external worship they declared is superfluous, the reception of the sacraments useless, and sin impossible in this state of complete union with God. Persons in this state of impeccability could indulge their sexual desires and commit other sinful acts freely without staining their souls. Would you look at that? In 1525, the Inquisition uh, issued an edict on the Alumbrados in which the Inquisitor General explained how the new heresy of Alumbratismo was discovered and investigated. So this is now, you know, a couple decades later, they were starting to get persecuted by the Inquisition. Henry Charles Lea, in his history of the Inquisition in Spain, mentions among the more extravagant Alumbrados a priest from Seville named Fernando Mendez, who had acquired a special reputation for sanctity. He taught his, his disciples to invoke his intercession, as though he were already a saint in heaven, Fragments of his garments were treasured as relics. He gathered a congregation of beatas, and after mass in his oratory, they would strip off their garments and dance with indecent vigor, drunk with the love of God, my goodness. And on some of his female penitents, he would impose the penance of lifting their skirts and exposing themselves before him. Mendez died before the Inquisition could bring him to trial. Isn't that a shame? Don't worry, God will bring him to trial. Ignatius of Loyola, while standing at Salamanca in 1527, was brought before an ecclesiastical commission on a charge of sympathy with the Alumbrados. That's interesting. But he escaped with an admonition. Hmm. So Ignatius Loyola, the one who started the Jesuits, had sympathy for these people. That's why I read you what they, what they believe in and what they do, because we have to connect the dots. We have, to, we have to connect the dots slowly because a lot of time has passed, people. This is the thing with history and why so many people are deceived because they refuse to put in the time to understand where you are in history. This requires piecing together pieces of information because you are at the end of time. God has given you much knowledge and the ability to research and to learn how the situation you're in today has come about. We have an immense luxury. That's why the seventh church, the lukewarm church is very rich. We're very rich in knowledge. We have the comforts of life. We can research things and learn. So you have to learn your history. But Ignatius of Loyola was a sympathizer of the illuminated ones. Very interesting. Correction. In spite of this determined action, however, the heresy maintained itself until the middle of the 17th century. The connection of later alumbrados, whose practices varied in different places, 
to the original Alumbrados, Isabella de la Cruz and Pedro Ruiz de Alcaraz, is debatable, but the continuing influence of their teachings is not improbable. So this came about, it went away, but most likely it continued an influence one way or another. Now, let's introduce you to the spiritual exercises. If you've never heard of these, these are from Ignatius of Loyola, but we're going to find out. The spiritual, excuse me, exercises are a set of Christian meditations. They're not Christian at all, but anyway, contemplations and prayers written by Ignatius of Loyola a 16th century Spanish priest, theologian, and founder of the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits. They were, comp they were composed with the intention of helping participants in religious retreats. That's a key word. Isolation. To discern the will of God in their lives, leading to a personal commitment to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Now, if you know your history, it's not Jesus that you're following. You're following the beast at any cost. And these exercises are designed to break your mind and your spirit into total submission. And there's more on that in other places and other videos. I talk about it in my end time series. A lot of stuff on these particular exercises. But you don't need to do transcendental type exercises to discern the will of God. You need to read the scriptures. Do you, see the, do you see the error here is that the idea is that you can discern good or evil by doing something. This is no different than occult practice. And of course, as you'll learn, it is occult practice. It's no different than New Age. It's no different than any other mystical religion. It's mysticism. These practices, which I cover in greater detail in my series, especially the counterfeit spirit episode, which I think a lot of people need to watch because... There's a great deception coming onto the world, and it's going to be via spiritual experiences, via things like the charismatic movement, Christian nationalism. All these things are coming into one Babylonian, mystery Babylon, final reality. But you can go check that out later. The point is that all of these things are based in mysticism, kundalini. There's no difference. If you look at kundalini, people doing kundalini practice like in India, and these hyper-Pentecostal, hyper-charismatic deliverance sessions where people are just like shaking and, and having seizures, there's literally no difference. These people are, are being invaded and giving up their body to an evil spirit, a counterfeit spirit. But this is, this is all very old. The spiritual exercises actually weren't new. They're, they're just based on mysticism. Remember, Ignatius of Loyola had sympathies for the illuminated ones who were a Gnostic sect. But let's let's keep reading. Background. After recovering from a leg wound incurred during the siege of Pamplona in 1521, Ignatius made a retreat with the Benedictine monks at their abbey high on Montserrat, Catalonia, northern Spain, where he hung up his sword before the statue of the Virgin of Montserrat. It's a nice little pact with an idol, the monks introduced him to the spiritual exercises of Garcia de Cisneros, which were based in large part on the teachings of the Brothers of the Common Life. That sounds like an interesting title, doesn't it? The promoters of the Devotio Moderna. He also spent much of his time praying in a cave. Why is it always that it's a cave? Mohammed had a cave. All these people are in caves. They're having revelations in caves. Never trust these things when you, when you read about them. Where he practiced rigorous ascetism. What does the Bible have to say about ascetism? Well, it tells you that ascetism is wrong, that punishing your body and doing all these ascetic practices does nothing for your flesh, even though that's the idea. Oh, if I, if I strip myself of all pleasure and if I don't eat anymore and I flog myself, then my flesh will be subdued. No, it won't. It's not at all because the flesh is not just the physical body. The flesh is your software. It's your sin nature. You know, stopping fasting is not going to take that away. There's people who felt, look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees were doing all of these things and they were like whitewashed tombs. Moving on. During this time, Ignatius experienced a series of visions. There you go. Visions in a cave and formulated the fundamentals of his spiritual exercises. He would later refine and complete the exercises when he was a student in Paris. 
The spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius form the cornerstone of Ignatian spirituality. A way of understanding and living one's relationship with God in the world is practiced by members of the Society of Jesus. Why don't they practice the gospel, I wonder? It's because they don't have it. Although he originally designed them to take place in the setting of a secluded retreat, during during which those undergoing the exercises would be focused on nothing other than the exercises, total mental submission. This is trauma-based mind control. This is all these things that you know about today that are done to Hollywood and people who are in power, but very old. Ignatius also provided a model in his introductory notes for completing the exercises over a longer period without the need of seclusion. Well, isn't that nice? Very generous of Mr. Loyola. And of course, you know, have the symbol of the sun with the Jesuits. We'll, we'll look, we'll keep all this in mind because there's a lot of things we got to open up. So just keep it all in mind. But let's look at the, the methodology really quick. Morning, afternoon, and evening will be times of examinations. The morning is to guard against a particular sin or fault. The afternoon is a fuller examination of the same sin or defect. There will be a visual record with a tally of the frequency of sins or defects during each day. In it, the letter G, uh-oh, will indicate days, with capital G for Sunday. Huh, isn't that interesting? Three kinds of thoughts, my own and two from the outside, one from the good spirit and the other from the bad spirit. Do you notice the, the trappings of secret society? I hope you do. With, with all the things I just mentioned, I hope you start to see and starting to connect some of these dots. Capital G for Sunday. Now, I don't know if the Freemason G stands for Sunday. Some people think it stands for Godriel, which is the name attributed to the serpent in the garden, according to the Book of Watchers or Enoch. I forget where specifically, but I don't know. That's not, you know, those things are interesting, but who knows? But it's just very interesting. And the G is for Sunday, which to them is the seventh day, but it's not the seventh day. That's the mark that the harlot boasts about that she changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. If you didn't know that, then look it up. There's documentation that I go over that the beast or the harlot, of course, we're not at the harlot completely yet, but same, same thing in essence. She boasts that she has the authority to change the law of God. And they put a capital G for Sunday the good spirit, the bad spirit. Wait a minute, what, what good spirit is there? There's only the Holy Spirit and they're demons. And we don't have this, do we, Christians don't have demons. Christians don't have a good spirit and a bad spirit. You either have one or the other. If you have the good spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, you're born again and you're protected from demonic possession. Unlike what all these charismatics who are teaching deliverance and, you know, prophecy seminars are telling you. Now, of course, people can still be delivered from demons, but if you have a demon, you're not a believer. You are not born again. Born again, people can't have bad spirits. So do you see how this is pulling in from all of the Gnostic influences that Ignatius had and and basically was associated to? Very, very, very interesting. All right, up next is Adam Weishaupt. And maybe you've heard of him, maybe not. This will be a good review, but let's see early life. Weishaupt began his formal education at age seven at a Jesuit school. He later enrolled at the University of Ingolstadt and graduated in 1768 at the age of 20 with a doctorate of law. In 1772, he became a professor of law after conversion to Protestantism. This is also an interesting detail, and you'll see why. After Pope Clement's Suppression of the Society of Jesus in 1773, which again, this is a false dialectic. I cover it in my series. Weishaupt became a professor of canon law, a position that was held exclusively by the Jesuits until that time. Isn't that interesting? He's a a supposed Protestant. Foundation of the Illuminati. Huh. On 1st May 1776, John Johann Adam Weishaupt founded the Illuminati in the Electorate of Bavaria. And that's what you need to know about Johann Adam Weishaupt. Next, we have the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen. This is a document that was basically published during the French Revolution. We're going to look at it closely. The Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen 
set by France's National Constituent Assembly in 1789, is a human civil rights document from the French Revolution. Gosh, that sounds so good. Inspired by the Enlightenment philosophers, the Declaration was a core statement. Let's see what this statement says of the values of the French Revolution and had a significant impact on the development of popular conceptions of individual liberty and democracy in Europe and worldwide. I mean, from this, this generally, if you didn't know anything about this, sounds like, man, this is better than sliced bread. But let's see what this looks like now. If you look at this thing, if you look at the Declaration of Rights of Man, Let's see if I can zoom in. Let's see if we find, there we go, there it is. There's that triangle with an eye. Have you seen that before? Maybe you've seen it on your dollar bill. Maybe you've seen it in other places, but isn't that what the Freemasons believe in? Isn't that what the Illuminati believe in? Isn't that what all these secret societies believe in? The eye of Horus or the eye of Ra or whatever they want to call it. It's the eye of Providence. It's their God, the God that they worship, the light bearer, the one who brings the light. And he has one eye because it's a hearkening to a prophecy about the one-eyed false Messiah in the Old Testament. Now, this is also very interesting. If you see this, it's called a fasci or fascist. It's basically a Roman symbol of authority. It's a bundle of sticks with a spear through it. Now, look at the top of this. This is an Ouroboros. This is an occult symbol. This is a snake eating its own tail at the top of this Roman fascist, basically, that's the symbol of, listen, we are taking the power. We are sovereign. We are sovereign. And at the top of this little spear is a Jacobin hat. We're going to learn about the Jacobins. And of course, if you look out from this thing, what does it look like? It looks like the Ten Commandments. That's the whole point. They are rewriting the law. We, what does this say to you? What is the values? Remember, this is a statement of the values of the French Revolution. Again, I break this down quite a bit in the episode and in, in my series, but this is, we are God. We are our own God. We are our own sovereigns. We are free. Isn't this the lie from the Garden of Eden? Right in your face. And again, some people think that the French Revolution was a good thing. A lot of people do, actually, because it was democracy, but it really wasn't. It was quite the opposite. The French Revolution led to communism, which is part of the dialectic. And we'll talk about this in a second. Is there actual evidence that the Jesuits really helped to instigate the French Revolution? Gosh, I really encourage you to go watch that episode because you're going to learn so much about this. But let's see a little bit about it. This is a Quora forum, but... One of the answers is a pretty good fact. Adam Weishaupt, founder of Jacobinism, a Jesuit doctor of papal canon laws at Ingolstadt University in Bavaria, had his work on Illuminism displayed at the University of Ingolstadt. And he was a Protestant. Isn't that interesting? Supposedly a Protestant. Jacobinism was the, dividing, the driving force of the French Revolution. And let's see a couple quotes on this. This is from Daryl Eberhardt, editor of Tackling the Tough Topics. Indeed, the Jesuit order, headed by the Jesuit superior general, is the most formidable enemy to religious and civil liberty that the world has ever probably seen. The Jesuits became so infamous in Europe for fomenting wars and revolutions and for assassinating heads of state that they were expelled from 83 countries, city-states, and cities by 1931, quite often by the Roman Catholic monarchs. Do you see the dialectic? Do you see the duality between one head of the snake and the other head of the snake. This is what I want you to start to start seeing. I just read a couple of these. I go over all these in my episode, but here's a couple quotes on the Jesuits from famous people. John Adams. My history of the Jesuits is not eloquently written, but it is supported by unquestionable authorities and is very particular and very horrible. The Jesuit order's restoration in 1814 is indeed a step towards darkness, cruelty, despotism, and death. I do not like the appearance of the Jesuits. If ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is the society of Ignatius de Loyola. That was John Adams. I mean, you can read some of these. Abraham Lincoln. The, the war, the American Civil War, would have never been possible without the sinister influence of the Jesuits. And of course, the Jesuits coordinated the assassination of Lincoln as well, if you know a little bit about that. Samuel Morse. The Jesuits are a secret society, a sort of Masonic order with super added features of revolting odiousness and a thousand times 
more dangerous. Again, another one from, this is Napoleon. The Jesuits are a military organization, not a religious order. Their chief is a general of an army. Keep this in mind. Not the mere father abbot of a monastery, and the aim of this organization is power. Power in its most despotic exercise, absolute power, universal power, power to control the world by the volition of a single man, i.e. the black pope, the superior general. Jesuitism is the most absolute of despotisms, and at the same time, the greatest and most enormous of abuses. So a lot of people have a lot to say about this, and of course, we'd go back to this Declaration of Rights of Every Man and Citizen. What does this say? It says we have the power, we want the power at least, breaking the shackles of the law of God and writing our own law with the Roman standard of power, with Jacobinism. We'll read about Jacobinism, the snake eating its own tail, the one-eye symbol. This is what the French Revolution was about. Now, if you know these things, and all these things are occult symbols, they have to do with secret societies, they have to do with secret orders and initiation rites and basically devil worshiping, then shouldn't that raise an eyebrow as to why the French Revolution is seen as such a good thing and how it brought democracy to the world? What did it actually bring? What did it actually bring? And this is what we explore in my series, and it's very fascinating because this was all designed. But let's look at the history of the Marianne's cap. This is the little Jacobin cap. I don't even know what it looks like. It just looks like it looks like Smurfs to me, honestly. It just looks kind of silly. But Marianne is one of the symbols of the French Republic and embodies the Republic as much as the tricolored flag. Marianne represents the permanence of those values which bind French citizens to the Republic. Liberty, equality, and fraternity. These are all Jesuit talking points, by the way. The common good. The, the world brotherhood. A Marianne is a bust of a woman wearing a Phrygian cap. In this article, we will be interested in the origin of this bonnet or the Phrygian cap. The cap was worn for the first time in France at the Procope, a coffee shop where revolutionaries used to gather. It resembles the cap worn by freed slaves in the Roman Empire, slaves whose masters had endowed them with freedom and whose descendants became fully-fledged Roman citizens. The Phrygian cap was thus a symbol of freedom as early as antiquity already. Gosh, that sounds so inspiring, doesn't it? Let's see more about it, though. The oldest traces of this bonnet date back to Mithra. Oh, there it is. The Iranian divinity of the sun, of friendship, oath, and contracts. Mithraism was the most widespread religion in Europe before Christianity. The statues of Mithra, which have survived to present day, represent Mithra wearing a Phrygian cap and a floating cape. He is kneeling on the primordial bull, holding a dagger in the right hand and drawing the bull's head towards the back with its left. So there's Mithra, the sun god, wearing the French cap. Or I should say, wearing the Phrygian cap, which the French copied and the Jacobins basically inherited. So why, why are these things related? These people are very intentional about what they do, obviously. You can see that from the Declaration of Rights of Every Man and Citizen. So why... Do they have hats that are specifically relating to the sun god right before Christianity took power? Let's read a little more about Mithraism. This is from Wikipedia. Mithraism, also known as the Mithraic Mysteries or the Cult of Mithras, was a Roman mystery religion centered on the god Mithras. Worshippers of Mithras had a complex system of seven grades of initiation. <laughs> there you go. Secret societies. There is all this time and communal ritual meals, initiates called themselves syndexioi, those united by the handshake. Isn't that something? Isn't that just so interesting? I love history. They met in underground temples. So very fascinating. Mithraism is viewed as a rival of early Christianity. Again, false dialectic, because early Christianity in this context doesn't mean biblical Christianity. It means the church-state union that Constantine set up as an, as the new thing. This is the new thing, guys. So, of course, you, you don't want to play along. You're going to be a rival. False dialectic. They're both evil. In the 4th century, Mithras faced persecution from the Christians. Does this sound like history repeats itself with the Alumbrados and the Spanish Inquisition? Do you, under, do you understand what's going on? Do you see these things? Constantine united church and state. I talk about this in my series, too. He had a vision to, to basically bridge politics and Christianity. 
That vision wasn't from God. God would not tell him to unify the Roman Empire with Christianity and put the sun god on one side of the coin and the letters of Jesus on the other and change the seventh day to Sunday, or I should say the day of rest to being Sunday. God would not tell you to do that. So obviously, the spirit that was guiding Constantine, that gave him those visions and that gave him those prompts, was an Antichrist spirit because the Antichrist realized, or the power of the Antichrist, the, the devil, realized that persecuting Christians wasn't working. The dark wasn't working. The faith was growing. People were getting martyred. The gospel was still spreading. Something, we need to do something else. This is not working. So let's integrate them instead. Let's go from dark to light. Do you see the tactic? Do you see how this works? When dark doesn't work, it goes to light, to the false light. In this case, the light is the false light of the institutionalization of Christianity. And so, of course, this new power that came out of Rome, which is the little horn power that was emerging with Constantine, wasn't official until 538 AD when the Pope formally took power as the Grand Poobah that all the kings gave their power to. But nonetheless, it started to emerge. This new power, of course, was going to persecute the old power because now you're on my turf. You're, you're a threat to my agenda. We're not doing the pagan thing anymore. We got we to gotta integrate paganism. We got to make the new thing now, which is institutionalized Christianity. We have to look like the real deal. Of course, we're still evil, but we have to look like the real deal. Angel, the devil disguises him as an angel himself as an angel of light. Do you see what's going on? So yeah, Mithraism was persecuted, in quotation marks, by Christianity. But again, these people who are writing these articles don't realize that that wasn't Christianity. That was the new power. That was the abomination that set itself up between man and God. Very interesting, though, the people of the handshake. Mithraism. This is like thousands of years ago, 2,000 plus years ago. The people of the handshake that worship the sun... You see these common threads all the way back through history. It's all one and the same religion, and that's the worship of the devil. Now, I want to bring your attention to the art of war really quick. And of course, I break this down in my episode very deeply. We look at the art of war actual text and how there's just so much to unpack with the art of war. Everybody's all about the art of war today because, oh my gosh, the deep state's losing and the white hats are using the art of war and everybody's quoting Sun Tzu, but people don't realize that Sun Tzu was probably fake. I hate to break it to you, but the art of war was not written by some Chinese general. It was written by the Jesuits, very, very likely. Let's look a little bit about the art of war. The book was translated into French and published in 1772, one year before the French Revolution. By the French Jesuit, Jean-Joseph-Marie Amiot. A partial translation in English was attempted by the British, blah, 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 whatever. So the first translation of this book, The Art of War, the first translation ever made was by a Jesuit. Now, according to the rules of the Jesuits, the operating procedures of the Jesuits, you cannot, as a Jesuit, pu publish any book without the Jesuit general approving your actions. You can't just publish a book on your own. Everything has to go through the general. So now, let's put it all together. The, the art of war is about who? The art of war is about the sovereign and the general, right? You have two figures. You have the general, and then you have the sovereign. And these two figures work together, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes the general does his own thing. And as long as it serves the agenda, he can go rogue and be destructive. But in the end, his goal is still to bring power back to the sovereign. And the sovereign's responsibility is the divine manipulation of the threads. That's what the art of war says. It's a really devious book. I mean, if you read it, it is an incredibly satanic book. And people are just, this is the thing I see even Christians that are, you know, like quoting the art of war and like, oh yeah, Trump, art of war. And it's just like, you have no clue about your history, man. The first copy that was ever translated of the art of war was translated one year before the French Revolution. You know, the Jesuits are implicated in the French Revolution. 
through the Jacobins, through all these different secret society orders. And the Jesuits translated the art of war one year before this happened, revealing their hand. This is what they do. This is what the occult does. They, they play their hand ahead of time so that they've said, okay, we've told you you didn't do anything. So now we have spiritual permission to do this in a sense. This is their religion. They do this all the time. They reveal ahead of time what they're going to do. So a year before the French Revolution, the art of war was published. And it was published in French by a French Jesuit. How much more evidence do you need? Read the book. And again, we break it down in the series. It is beyond a shadow of a doubt that this book is not talking about some Chinese you know, general. It's talking about the actual Jesuit general, the superior general, and the Pope. And how they use their tactics to bring about their agenda. And of course, if you understand why the French Revolution was created, it even makes even more sense because the French Revolution was created to get rid of monarchy. Remember all the monarchs, the dialectic between the Roman Catholic monarchs and the Jesuits, and the monarchs were kind of, you know, against them, even though they're Catholic? Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it does if you understand dialectics and that this snake has two heads, not just one. And those two heads work kind of in opposition and sometimes together. And that brings about the world agenda. Dark and light together. They play both sides. And the problem was the monarchs. Monarchs were a problem for bringing the world under the beast. Because you had the French Revolution. You had things starting to change. And Protestantism was taking over. And so all these things were really putting a thorn in the side of the beast. Why is that? Well, because Protestantism was a grassroots type of situation. The Jesuits were created to destroy the Protestant Revelation, the Re Reformation. And you can't enforce totalitarianism when there's a grassroots movement because it's just going to catch fire. So you need to create other ways of doing things. So monarchy as a system of government had to be destroyed. It was it had it served its purpose. And so how do you do that? Well, you create a revolution that changes the style of governing from being a monarchy where you have a king to we the people. We're, we're the ones that are voting. We have a democracy. And of course, if you have a democracy, you have to have two sides to that democracy. You have the liberal side and you have the conservative side. And this is how the dialectic of left and right started. It started with the French Revolution because that changed the political governing of every major Western country into this system that we have today, which is the dual, a dualistic system between blue and red, left and right. Because now these things can happen faster. You got the left pushing left and you got the right pushing right. Good cop, bad cop. You got the communists, you got the Christian nationalists, you got the secularists and liberals, you got the conservatives, and they're just one in the other. And you can change president every four years and you can push and push and push and push people this way, push people that way. And it doesn't matter which way you push because eventually you're going to go up the Kabbalah tree and you're going to integrate to that one world solution much faster. And that's what's happened ever since the French Revolution. This is when the beast from the bottomless pit emerged. Now, if all of this sounds confusing to you or crazy, I encourage you again to go watch my series. I'll link it below. You can watch it ad free to your pleasure and learn the truth. Because the French Revolution was an integral step in bringing people back to Mystery Babylon. Now, of course, these plans are, are done over, you know, hundreds of years. These people plan in advance like crazy. But nonetheless, it was a critical step towards that world order. And we are at the end of that. Now, if you understand all this and you're, you're following me and you know your history of the last 100 years with World War II, World War I, all these things that have happened, then you see that we are at the tail end of this dialectic system. The push right now towards the left and deep state and dark and commie and atheism is designed to push you to the right, where you demand religion, where you demand old school values, where you demand conservatism, where you demand these, these right wing policies, where the other side looks so good. They're going to push all this deep, dark stuff in your face so hard 
with an incompetent president like Biden, who is obviously placed there. If you think Trump lost the election and they, they, they robbed Trump and oh my gosh, and now he's just this victim and he's playing a victim. You are so deceived. I was too. I'm not blaming you, but you got to wake up. You got to wake up from this dialectic because Trump is part of the system. It was designed for Trump to lose so that he could have four years to lead you on and to tell you, oh my gosh, look at how evil they are. Look how bad, look how corrupt they are. And you say, oh my gosh, you're right. You look, you're so right, Trump. And then when he comes back, which he probably will, then the world will be ready even more to receive a hard right leader that will spearhead a Christian nationalist system, which is what the United States is for. The United States is the false prophet designed to per, to convince the world, persuade the world that having a Christian nationalist system like it was for 1400 years is a good thing. It's going to start here. So why do you think it's so left crazy and liberal crazy and in your face crazy with the border getting out of control with all these ridiculous things with Biden being basically a robot? I mean, it's all, do you really think they're that stupid? It's by design to force you into the opposite side so that you see, yeah, Biden is horrible. You know what? I'm voting for Trump. That's not the way to think. It's not at all the way to think. There's only one person coming to save you, and that's Jesus. But before he comes, there has to be a worldwide system to separate the elect from the non-elect through the mark of the beast. But we talk about all this stuff. And again, if this is news to you, then I highly encourage you to watch my series. We have two more things to look at really quick. And that's first one is the mosaic pavement that is so common in these ritualistic places. The black and white checkered floor has existed in temples since the times of ancient Egypt. Isn't that interesting? More than simply decorative, the mosaic pavement bears a profound esoteric special meaning. Today is one of Freemasonry's most recognizable symbols and the ritualistic floor of all Masonic lodges. Anytime you see a checkered floor, just be suspect. Of course, that doesn't mean go to Denny's and say that they're Freemasons, but, you know, just, just be on the, you know, open your eyes. And when you see these things, people in Hollywood wearing shirt, shirts with checkered squares or, you know, people flashing pictures of themselves in checkered squares that are famous, you have to look for these things. The pavement in this, the pavement is the area on which in initiations occur and is emblematic of human life checkered with good and evil. The mosaic pavement is an old symbol of the order. It is met with the, within the earliest rituals of the last centuries. It is classed among the ornaments of the lodge along with the indented tassel and the blazing star. It is partially colored stones of black and white have been readily and appropriately interpreted as the symbols of good and evil of human life. Now, look, if you follow the Bible, the Bible, what does the Bible tell you? The Bible tells you that there is no good in humankind. Now, I want you to follow this logic very clearly, because this is the, the lie from the Garden of Eden, which is alive and well today, and which was expressed very obviously through the French Revolution. If you can choose free of influence, which is what all of these people believe that you're free to choose. I mean, you can choose the good if you want to. It's up to you. You can choose what's good and evil. Sound familiar? Genesis 3. But if you can choose free of influence, you are able to choose the good just as equally as you can choose the bad. So it's up to you. Therefore, you can govern yourself. You don't need God. Do you see how this works? Do you see how the train of logic of, uh, of the libertarian free will lie from the Garden of Eden works? Now, that's not a very, that's a very controversial topic today that we don't have libertarian free will, but the Bible doesn't tell you this. It doesn't tell you that you have libertarian free will, that you can choose free of influence, that you can choose the good. Outside of God, outside of the Holy Spirit working through you, you cannot choose the good. And so this is what these people believe. They believe that you can choose the good. And if you can choose the good, then it's up to you. Works-based righteousness so you got to go through initiations, you got to do various things, you have to do various levels, because it's up to you. You can govern yourself, but governing yourself comes with slavery. Do you see the irony? Do you see why Satan was so clever 
in gaslighting Eve into this idea that she could govern herself. Because in doing so, you can't really govern yourself, but in doing so, you enter a paradigm where you are a slave. It's the exact opposite. True freedom is in Christ when we surrender to God and we do his will. How do you know his will? Well, you read the Bible, you pray, you do these things daily, and that's how you know his will. You, you repent and you become born again. But if you believe that you can choose the good, then you become a slave. Isn't that interesting? And all these things promise you freedom. But notice the black and white. Notice the duality. Notice these things that are as old as time from Rome and Egypt. These are the oldest things in the book, people. It's all one religion. Whether it's Freemason or Illuminati or whatever other Rosicrucian order, the Knights Templar, they're all the same thing. They all believe in the same thing. It's, it's not a stretch of the imagination. Once you've learned enough about these things, you know that they're all the same thing. It's the devil. The devil's the master of duality. He teaches duality and, and using light and dark to accomplish your purpose so that you can be God. But only God does such things. Only God is the creator that uses light and dark to shape reality and to bring about his glory. But if you're doing that to bring about your own glory, then you will be like God. Do you see the lie from the Garden of Eden? And I want you to see one more thing with it, which is the superior general. And, and let's read about him really quick with the Jesuits. Black Pope. If you haven't heard of the Black Pope, then now's your chance. Black Pope is an unofficial designation given to the position of superior general of the order of the Jesuits. The name follows from his leadership of the largest Catholic male religious order and from the color of the plain black cassock worn by members of the society, including the superior general. Why is he called a general, I wonder? Very interesting, isn't it? Same thing with the art of war. It's a general and a sovereign. Moving on. This may have originated from a past concern most prominent in the 16th and 17th centuries among Protestant European countries concerning the relative power of the Jesuits within the Roman Catholic Church, and partly because the superior general, like the Pope, is elected for life. So he's, you know, they go through their rituals and they nominate whoever is there. But the Black Pope, and of course you have the White Pope, and together... What do they form? They form the heads of the snake. And so now it all comes full circle. Let's, let's put all this together very, very easily and very simply now. Pope Francis says the Freemasonry is forbidden by the Catholic Church. Har, har, har. Very funny. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, though. Very interesting. The Jesuits were founded by Ignatius, who had sympathies for a Gnostic secret society called the Illuminated Ones. Ignatius' spiritual exercises and his beliefs basically showed that he was consistent with those sympathies even after he was accused. He got away scot-free, but he, he was very much influenced by these people and by the occult with his visions in a cave and spiritual exercise, all the things we covered. The Jesuits have also been compared to a secret society by many people, including some people that have been Jesuits, that have written books about their secret orders and their initiations and all of the things they've done to foment revolutions and to deal with, you know, the various political outcomes in secret, all kinds of, you know, devilish, um, trying to find the word, I can't find the word right now, but anyway, like subtle, you know, subterfuge, that's the word I'm looking for, subterfuge. A lot of subterfuge with the Jesuits. They've been expelled from many countries. This is what started the French Revolution. They were heavily involved with the Jacobins to foment the French Revolution. The Jacobins and the, and the French Revolution were basically, as you saw through the Declaration of the Rights of Man of Every Citizen, their Phrygian caps, surrounded with occult sun worship and basically dualism, duality, secret society, secret orders, I cover a lot of this in my end time series. Adam Weishaupt, who was the founder of the Illuminati around that time as well, was also a Jesuit trained operative, basically. Sure, he converted to Protestantism, but I mean, really? Come on now. And we know that the occult believes in dualism, good and evil, black and white. You look at the Baphomet with the two hands up and down, light and dark. You're the master of good and evil. We know the Jesuit general is the black pope, and we know that the normal pope is basically the white pope. White hats and black hats. Again, that's why people who were talking about the white hats are in control. Yeah, the white hats are in control. But who's wearing the white hat? It's the pope. 
We're going from dark to light, people. We're going from the dark world order who was established after World War II with communism because the communists won World War II. Hitler was propped up by the Pope, by the way, anyway. Dark versus light. They always need two opposing sides to move around their agenda. And of course, last time the dark won, and this time the light is going to win. Everybody's going to come back to the light. The false light of the Catholic Church and the Catholic system and the Pope and the, the kings of the earth will give their power to Mystery Babylon through a Christian nationalist system. If you think I'm crazy, I urge you to indulge me in my series so you can learn the truth. The real enemy is not in Israel. The real enemy is not in Islam. The real enemy is the one that has smooth speech and seems like he's out for the world peace and trying to help everybody with climate change. Some say there's a gray pope that, control, that controls both of them, but who knows? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The, the dualities that are present and should be obvious to you by now are not exclusive to Freemasonry. Nobody meets with the Pope and wears white. You ever notice that? Everybody who meets with the Pope always wears black because you got to point to him. You have to make him look like the light. He is the light. If you're going to meet with him, you have to wear black every single time. Everybody wears black or like a really dark blue, but basically you have to wear black all the time. It's, it's really fascinating. So you have this duality constantly. Remember that the goal of the Jesuits was to destroy the Protestant Reformation and basically rally everybody back to the Mother Church. The Jesuits started the French Revolution to bring this left-to-right thing happening, this dialectic to start happening, because again, you had monarchy before that, so there was, there was no action, there was no up and down. So they, they, got, they got rid of that, it wasn't working anymore. Now we have two parties, left and right, left and right. Now we can move the agenda back and forward. The left will push a little too much and they'll accomplish some of our goals. Then we're going to move back to the right. People are going to just go like this, sway back and forth, the march of tyranny. We know that they released the art of war. And if you've read that book, again, I break it down in my episode quite a bit. Sun Tzu was not some Chinese guy in 500 BC or whatever they tell you. Just like with Shakespeare, just like with all these things. Look, history is a, is a lie. Not all of it, but you know, there's a lot of lies in history. And one of them is this whole Sun Tzu thing, wrote the art of war, because he didn't. What is the art of war about? You ever ask yourself? You ever read that book? I hope you will indulge me and look at this episode, The French Revolution. I believe it's episode 14. Because I break the, we look through all sorts of lines in the art of war and how they are actually relevant to the Jesuits in the Re French Revolution at the time, and also history and what we know about their involvements in history. The art of war is a satanic book. So stop quoting it. If you are quoting it, if you're like infatuated with it, if you think it's, oh my gosh, it's so great. No, it's not. It's evil. The art of war is total subterfuge and satanic doctrine. But the Vatican is the ultimate secret society and the Pope is the man of sin. He is the personal representative of the little horn power, the first beast from the sea. The Catholic system is the abomination that Daniel warned us about that John warned us about through the first beast. And ultimately that power, if you know your history, which I go over again quite a bit, basically received what seemed like a mortal wound in 1798 with the French Revolution. So the French Revolution changed the political landscape of the world by creating a dialectic between left and right, between libertarian or liberal and conservative. It also basically gave a wound to the beast, just like John prophesied. But this wound was not a mortal wound. It seemed like it was a mortal wound. The Pope was arrested by Napoleon, by his general, and the papacy was declared to be at an end, exactly 1260 years after he had taken power. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how the Bible predicted that thousands of years in the past? Just so fascinating. But that mortal wound would be healed, which is very important. And the, and people would come to worship and marvel after the beast. Now that line is immediately followed by in Revelation 13, the second beast that comes up from the earth. Because the natural question is, hey, John, okay, this, this beast receives a mortal wound and comes back to power, but how does it come back to power? There's a lot of stuff that needs to be explained in that statement. 
that it comes back to power and people worship the beast. Like, whoa, can you expand it? And he does. He goes back and he tells you, well, there's a second beast that's going to come up out of the earth that exercises the same power as the first beast, meaning it's a world power and it comes out of nowhere. In 1798, when the French Revolution was happening and the, and the Pope basically was arrested, that is also the year that the United States was recognized as a sovereign power by the French. By where all of this sun and light and, and occult worship began into the world. And it didn't begin there, but it, you know the, the modern day version of that started with France. Very interesting. And France recognized the United States as basically a world power at that point, as a sovereign nation. And from there, the United States has grown into the world power that basically is uncontested. Even though today it seems like it might be contested, but the United States' role is very unique in history. Because the Bible says it will be a false prophet, that all the signs and wonders will be happening here, and these signs and wonders will deceive people into building an image to the beast, meaning a representation of what was once a system. The first beast was a Christian nationalist system. If you don't know what the first beast is, then you are not going to understand the image of the beast. So the United States' role is to develop a Christian nationalist system. And it will be successful through false signs and wonders. And we go through all of those false signs and wonders in my series, which are very obvious if you have ears to hear. I have over 300 citations in that series and references. I put in probably about 200 hours worth of research so that you don't have to, because I was very deceived on the end times. And so are most people today. So indulge me and look and learn your history because people will worship the beast and marvel after. We're heading in that direction. Mystery Babylon isn't completely there yet, but she's in the background being, being ready to take power because the image of the beast is about ready to be completed. The end is not a dark world order, a communist world order, an Islamic threat. The end is a Christian nationalist system. Christian nationalism is the enemy and people are going to think it's a good thing. That's the deception. Do you think that the deception is going to be obvious? Like, ooh, atheists that want to turn your kids into transgenders? That's the deception? Well, gosh, I mean, that's pretty low-hanging fruit, man. No. The devil's not going to play his hand that easily. The devil's going to come back and be worshipped because that's what the Bible says. But the Bible says that there will be a Christian nationalist system because there's a counterfeit that invaded the church. Mystery Babylon is a woman who represents a church that sits on seven hills, which is Rome, wears red and purple, and yada, yada, yada. There's so many other qualifiers that really narrow it down to only one place, and that's the Vatican. The Vatican was created into a city in 1929 when the wound was healed politically. San Francisco Chronicle said that the wound was healed in 1929, healing the wound. Up until then, the Vatican didn't exist, but the Vatican was created, and that is an important prophecy marker, not the creation of the state of Israel. That's a false flag. That's a distraction. The Vatican being created is a marker because that means we're closer to Mystery Babylon because Mystery Babylon is also called that great city that reigneth over the kings of the earth. That great city didn't really exist. Of course, Rome could be called that, that would be appropriate, but it's even more appropriate now. We're getting close and close and close because the Vatican has been created. And the Vatican is its own sovereign little state, city-state, that reigns over the kings of the earth. Very interesting, isn't it? So I hope that you see the irony in the Pope calling for you know, vigilance against corruption, in the Pope calling for Freemasonry, Catholics not joining Freemasonry, and you know, basically avoiding secret societies when really the Pope is a Jesuit and the Jesuits are a secret society and the Pope and the black Pope together form their dualistic system that brings about the world order. And all these people have their ties in secret societies and devil worshiping. Now, if that offends you because you're Catholic, look, I'm not speaking against Catholics but you need to realize that the system is what the prophets warned about. Institutionalization of religion and 
the counterfeit that was set up in AD 321 through Constantine and later solidified through the Pope in 538 AD, this is the enemy. This is the enemy of God, the enemy that places itself in the place of Christ in between man and God. Because again, the devil can't be obvious. He has to counterfeit. That's the, that's the best way to get worship. The devil can't beat God. He can't be more powerful than God. So what is the, if, if you were evil, right? Take, don't take this too literally, but if, you know, think, think of the devil and what he would want to do. He can't beat God. He can't outpower God. So what's he got to do to get his goal? He has to deceive. He has to pretend he's God. Remember the didact from the second century where the Christians of that time believed that at the end of time, the devil would impersonate Jesus and deceive many. And this is maybe where all of this is leading to with this false fulfillment of their futuristic prophecy with the third temple being rebuilt, Abrahamic family house, climate change. It's all moving into one system. How exactly all of it's going to play out Time will tell. We have to watch. We have to watch, but we have to know what we're watching. If you're watching Israel, if you're listening to these dispensationalist pundits, then you are being deceived. So don't listen to them anymore and learn the truth because the article that says the Pope is telling people to watch for corruption or telling Catholics not to join Freemasonry is actually pretty ironic and pretty funny.